Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And welcome to the Living Free program today. And my name is Bill and I'd like to welcome you to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial. This week we're talking about living with the effects of alcoholism in our family with the help from our Lauren family groups. I'm here with my regular co-presenter Jude. Hello. And we have two guests today, two Alanon members, Steve and Sue, and they're going to talk about how Alanon has helped them live with the effects of alcoholism in their lives. Welcome to Steve and Sue. Thanks. Thank you very much. Ah. Um, yeah, so Alanon is a, is a, what, a program, a, an organisation that helps people to cope with the effects of alcoholism in their lives. Um, they do that by meeting at groups, um, and in those groups, people share their experience, strength, and hope about how we can overcome the effects of alcoholism on ourselves. Um, my dad was an alcoholic, and uh, the effect of his drinking on my life meant that I was anxious, um, I was controlling, and um, and I really wasn't happy. And I didn't understand that his drinking was a problem in my life, but I knew that his drinking caused problems in the family. Um, and coming to Alanon, I've realised that the, the drinking had a profound effect on me, and that I needed, you know, to do something about the way I lived because I wasn't living, I wasn't enjoying life, and I certainly wasn't relating to people very well. So. Coming to Alan meant that um, I understood that the, the, the drinking was a problem, and, and the problem is that it's a, 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 alcoholism is a family disease, and it affects families uh, very much, and that, um, that really I needed to look at what I was doing and take my focus off the alcoholic and look at what I was doing that was causing, was, was making the problems worse for the family, not better. Um, and and that meant that um, you know I needed to get get on with life. I wasn't living, so I was just wondering, um, Steve, if you could talk about you know what it was like living with with active alcoholism, and and also talk about what your relationship to the alcoholics are in your yeah, life. Yeah. Okay. Um, first off, I um, my mother was the alcoholic that I grew up with. I didn't know she was an alcoholic. I just thought. I was told that she was uh, depressed, and but then she spent most of her time in bed, and she wasn't drinking because she'd actually dried out, been sent somewhere to dry out, and I went and stayed with un- uncles and aunts. And But then she was into Mother's Little Helpers, you know, those um, little powders that people have, and I had to go to the shop every few uh, hours to go and get some of those for her. Uh, you know, I'd get home from school, and there was sort of like... She was in bed, and I had and I had to sort of sneak in so she wouldn't hear me, but then she would, and and I'd be doing that, and it was sort of, I just used to sort of see, her, and I'd try to convince her that all this, all these things that she was taking was really bad for her, and uh, and that didn't seem to work. I even took to, even against cigarettes, I was smoking. I I, I got my little sister. 
and myself to put on um, gas masks and, and sit watching television. And they, and my parents just told me not to be so stupid and everything else. But I just didn't know what to do, and I spent a lot of time learning about alcohol, the problems of alcohol, the problems of drugs, to try and convince her that you know that it was really, really bad. And even at eight, I probably had a really good understanding of pharmacology, really. Um, so yeah, but I got away, and it was it was great getting away from that and left. And I, as I say, made a did a uh, geographical, and um, I just thought, oh, that's good. I've got away from that, but I didn't know that it was still affecting me. I yeah, until until later on when my uh, my mother-in-law came to stay near me, and and we were looking after that, I found myself. In the, uh, with an alcoholic again and suddenly here I was arguing and debating and trying to convince her of uh, that she was an alcoholic and um, that's, yeah, that's me Yeah, so uh, that's the thing I, we can go away from alcoholism but it comes with us, so no matter where we go, it's, it follows us I'm afraid and, um, unless unless we do something about it it continues to dominate our lives. So, Sue, um, what, what's your relationship to the alcoholic and what, how did you find Al-Anon? My relationship is it was my parents. First of all, my father, when I was growing up, was the alcoholic and, and then later my mother um, became an alcoholic. I think that began with her uh, keeping up with my father with his drinking as a way of managing it. How I found Al-Anon was when my mother came to live with us and I suddenly found myself back in that environment and just my life became unmanageable. I was extremely unhappy and wasn't coping, wasn't coping with myself, wasn't coping with the situation and I heard through, um, actually it was Steve suggested it, his sister had been to Al-Anon some 20 years previously and um, and we thought oh well let's let's try this, this might be a place that can give us support for people like us and uh, certainly from our very first moment of walking into an Al-Anon meeting I realised I'd, I'd got the diagnosis I'd been looking for which was the cause of all my unhappiness and anxiety and fear and anger um, were due to this family disease. Okay, um, so how did, um, did you have any any feeling towards the alcoholic when you were growing up that in that situation, observing the alcoholic doing destroying your family life, what was your reaction to those, those feelings? Uh a mixture of anger, despair, frustration. Um, I hated my father. Uh, I really resented his drinking. I resented the fact that it turned him into uh, an angry, violent man. I resented the fact that the priority was the whatever income was in the family that was to be spent on um, alcohol. And so I went and my brother and um, and sister went without, you know, toys and clothes and things like that. Um, I hated seeing him beat my mother. 
and I used to actually, I used to fantasise how I could get rid of him, you know, think of all these different ways of killing him, basically, because I thought, well, if he could just be gone, um, then we could all be happy. We could we could have a happy life. It's 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 him, um, and but I could never come up with a way that I could get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I sort of felt like well it was a public service you know to yeah. get rid of this man, yeah. um, but I I couldn't come up with a way that I could get away with it which wouldn't be messy. Um, yeah, so he he lived on and on and on and on no. and on and on. <laughs> Right, Steve. Um, did you try and control the alcoholics drinking? What's how? Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think. Um, well, I, <clears throat> I think it was more like feeling responsible. You know, like uh, feeling a responsibility to try and stop what was happening, and that responsibility just went went crazy for me. And in terms of, I felt responsible for people's happiness. I felt responsible for all this other stuff that wasn't my responsibility, and so I think. Yeah, as I said earlier, I tried to sort of work out ways. I remember even in terms of cigarettes, uh, because I saw that was a problem as well, because the whole place was covered in nicotine. I actually took to um, to threading horse hairs along the inside of a cigarette, and so it would be really dreadful, and I got found out and got really told off about that. That's brilliant. (laughs) And um, I just did all all this different stuff, and... Uh, because she didn't really drink, was I? Um, I uh, it was it was more these tablets, and uh, you know, like I read on the packet that you should have two. She was taking twelve, and um, and I'm just sort of thinking, uh, uh, you know, and I remember big arguments about um, my father refusing to give her. You know, she'd been away and came back and had to take this this these injections to. To, to stop her from being depressed, and but she got hooked on those, and my father refused to, to actually um, give them to her, and so there was this huge fight and argument. But then these other tablets became the big thing, and I was really trying to, you know, breaking them down a bit. Cigarettes, I'd open the pack uh, carefully and open the tin foil and pull out with a needle about five or six cigarettes out of the pack so she would think that she'd smoked a pack even yeah. though yeah. and all this stuff it was just yeah. and that was the craziness i was totally insane i must have been like some you know and i and i didn't tell anyone about it of course because you don't and so i got really good at sort of hiding who i really was i was actually i fitted in with people and and became responsible as well became respons- so responsible yeah. For everyone's happiness, if someone was sad or if someone was happy, I I could fix that. That was yeah. my superpower, you yeah. know, which was yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yes. People pleasing is a a big big aspect of life. You know, growing up in an alcoholic situation, because I found that if I could keep people, keep my the rest of my family happy, then I, I didn't feel quite as bad. And um, and so you become many faces to many people. And you agree with each person, and then you have these terrible conflicts as to who you've agreed to and what you've said, and trying to remember all that. And so, and also the denial of alcoholism as a problem in the family extends outside, and you can't talk to anybody about it. 
and that becomes more of a problem. That no, you don't know what to say to people. You don't know what their reaction will be. Um, Sue, did you have similar things where you couldn't talk to people about the drinking in your home? I, unable to talk to anybody whatsoever. It was um, very much um, kept um, within the family and except obviously these other people that there was a there was a, a, a coterie of drinkers um, around the family um, and it was interesting even within within the drinkers there was this level of um, whether someone was a hopeless alcoholic or whether they were a, a, a heavy drinker and if you were a heavy drinker like my my father would saw himself as a heavy drinker um, that was something quite a good that meant you could handle your drink and you could drink a lot of it and um, but a hopeless alcoholic was the one weeping in the corner or passed out on the floor um, so yeah no there was no opportunity to speak about it no one at school no one not not with the neighbours um, although I was aware that we were that family no other kids weren't allowed to come and play at our house and I wasn't allowed to go to theirs either you know like not not by my parents saying I couldn't go to them but by their parents saying that no um kids from that family can't come and play <laughs> so um I was aware that there was something about our family and I can remember one time I did change schools and I got invited to somebody's house and when the when the father came home, I was used to sort of bracing myself. We would all like get really tense, um, you know, just just prior to my father coming home. And as he would come down the drive, we'd all be <gasps> on edge. You know, how's he going to be when he walks in the door? And you could we could sort of tell by the lightness or heaviness of his footsteps how it was going to be. And we, but when this dad came home. The kids all run and threw themselves in his arm. He kissed his wife and he sat down and he talked to them about their day and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, okay. It, it was one of the first times that I got the sense that what I was experiencing wasn't normal. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, I, me too. It's not wanting people to come to our house because it wasn't a pleasant place to be. You know, that's very significant as a child and I found that I always wanted to go to someone else's house hmm. you know, always wanted to see or to experience something better than what you're getting at home which isn't a good experience as a child um, now Jude question for you, you know, right here um, yep. how how do you find um, your relationship with alcoholics and um, I guess how you how you relate to them given that you've got a bit of program behind you, regardless of whether they're drunk or sober. And I think I think one of the big issues with alcoholics is that I've found that it doesn't matter whether they're drunk or sober. I don't have to change the way I respond to them like I did before. I was always anxious about, you know, what to do and what not to do. But once once I was able to see my father's alcoholism as a um as a disease, that's something he didn't choose to have that he wasn't actively trying to be a bastard, um, that I was able to relate to him, um, what, as, not as a friend, but as, as somebody I respected and that wasn't a threat to me 
But how, how do you find relating to alcoholics drunk or sober? Thanks, Bill. Um, so where I fit into this, um, if you're listening, is uh, is I'm an alco- I identify as an alcoholic myself and I've been sober for a number of years. And uh, yeah, um, interesting question. I've had experience with both types recently, um, people who are drinking and don't want to stop and people who um, have recently been drinking and are trying to stop. And they're all my people. You know, they all remind me of me. Every other alcoholic I meet is like looking in a mirror. Um, even if they're doing stuff that I've ne- I'd, I'd never done. Um, so, you know, I saw somebody a few months ago. I was on the tram here and I saw a guy with a big strawberry nose in his 60s shuffling down the feet with a drunkard shuffle, which probably means peripheral neuritis, and he's swigging out of a brown paper bag. He's swigging booze. Well, I assume it's booze. And, um, and my heart went out to him, you know, and I just looked at him and went, you know, there's something in you. It's not just a, a thing you make up with your head. There's something in me going, I could have been that guy, and I'm so lucky that I'm not. And, uh, and and that poor guy. And wouldn't it be lovely if that guy's life could get better and he could have 10 years of amazing quality life at the right at the end. Um, but, yeah, um, so yeah, so recently somebody came up to my car and was sort of, it was raining and she's like, and, and having a big drunken sort of emotional meltdown. And I'm like, yep, right, you enjoy that. I'm going to go now and drove away, which is, you know, a strategy we often use, which is like don't really buy into stuff. Um, don't enable, don't wrap the person up in cotton wool. If, if it's someone you don't know, if it's, if it's your, your child, yeah, you, you, you behave differently. But somebody on the street comes up to you and starts having a big emotional meltdown, to me the strategy I use is detach and, uh, and go unless there's something I think that I can actually do for them that will be useful. And uh, there was somebody else who's drinking and desperately wanting to stop. And, um, you know, I just love them. I just, I just sit there with them and take them to meetings and go, you know, did you have one drink today? And they're like, nah. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I'm not just making that up or being overly enthusiastic. To me, it is amazing. And someone who's trying to stop drinking actually stops drinking. It's an unlikely thing. And that person's going against their own nature. So, yep. yeah, so so I guess it's, it's, it's love, but it's often quite a stern love or quite a um, – it looks like a very uncaring love. Yeah. Yeah, it's yep. like – what ifs? You just do your stuff. <laughs> yes, it come, is. come to us when you want to get well, but if you yeah. want to stay sick, you're welcome to, yeah. but I'm not going to buy into it. I'm not going to have a drama with you. Yeah. 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 I think it's the important thing for me was to respect the fact that my father was an alcoholic and that he did things that alcoholics do. They drink, they cause problems, they upset people. Criticise you. Criticise. They do everything. Find your buttons and push them. Yeah. So yeah. it's all that stuff and realising that, you know, that's, that's okay he he can't control that and he's it's his issue not mine and so allowing him to live his life without me making it making it worse was a significant thing that i felt in my life that alan had helped me let him get on with his life to address his problems and me and for me to start looking at my problems and start addressing my issues hmm. yeah so that was really good um i thought we're probably up to a a song so we have um a song called Perfect Day, which is probably a, something we're all looking for, by Lou Reed. And um, so, Steve, this is one of yours, yes. one of your favourites? Yeah, it is. It, it's sort of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's got a lot of really positive stuff about it, that's all. I, I love Lou Reed. I love lots of music, actually. But, yeah, this one I thought, thought of came out of my head. And, you know, when I was coming to the program, I thought, yeah, Perfect Day would be perfect. Okay, I'll put it on. 
just a perfect day. Drink sangria in the park, and then later, when it gets dark, we go home. A perfect day. Feed animals in the zoo. Then later, a movie too, and then home. Oh, it's such a perfect day. I'm glad I spent it with you. Oh, such a perfect. You just keep me hanging on. You just keep me hanging on. Just a perfect day. Problems all left alone. Weekenders on our own. It's such fun. Just a perfect day. You made me forget myself. I thought I was someone else, someone good. QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month. Or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR. Funded by the City of Yarra. Ah, you're listening to Living Free uh, on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio.
Uh, we've got about 90 episodes of the show available as podcasts on our website, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. So you can check them out there. If you want to send us a message, you can contact us via 3CR on 9419 8377. Email us on 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. And we're also on Twitter as 3crlivingfree. And we're discussing living with the effects of alcoholism with the effects uh, with two guests, Steve and Sue, and also with Jude, the co-presenter. Um, so we've been talking about you know growing up in an alcoholic situation and dealing with alcoholics. Um, so finding Al-Anon um, meant that I felt the, the responsibility for the alcoholic or the alcoholism lift off my shoulders and for once I could be free to, to be me. Um, so I was just wondering, Steve, what, what sort of relief did you find from going to your first Al-Anon meeting? Well, I think um, one of the things that I saw was, uh, yeah, there's a second step which talks about um, insanity, you know, um, becoming aware of your own insanity or, or getting back to being sane. And I just suddenly realised how crazy I'd spent my life, you know, like, oh, I am insane, you know, like, it's okay, <laughs> you know. And it was the realisation that... Um, you know, because I always used to think, oh, people are doing this to me and people are doing that to me. And as Jude had talked earlier about buttons, you know, like there was all these buttons on me that people loved to press. And it was here, there that I realised that insanity of the buttons was actually, I'd put them there in the first place, you know, bright red ones. And um, I just couldn't believe it. I'd always go somewhere else. I think, right, I'll have a fresh start here. And... Of course, there'd be someone there to press one of the buttons and there I'd go again. And it was just such a realisation that that insanity, uh, that I was the insane one. Because I used to, couldn't figure out why I was in a room with uh, with alcoholics and they were having a great time and I was really pissed off. You know, that's totally insane. You know, I was being the insane one. I was the one putting gas masks on, watching TV and things like that. I was the one stuffing cigarettes with, with horse tails, horse hair. So it was just like, oh, I can actually get rid of that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it was sort of a relief, actually, a relief to see that uh, my life had become really un, totally um, chaos and to actually yeah. go, yeah. Yep. To agree with yeah. it. Okay. Uh, so how did you find the, the impact that once you realised what the problem was, how did that impact on, on the way you lived? Oh, it's had a huge impact. Um, I, I guess initially I went through a whole lot of stages of um, anger and grief and, and resentment, but overall just to know that I was not alone was a huge thing. I had grown up totally thinking I was the only one that felt the way that I felt and that there was something seriously wrong with me, that um, I was the only one who seemed to find a problem with what everyone else seemed to find was absolutely fine. So to find myself in a room full of people who were nodding heads when I, when I, um, when I spoke and, and who just listened to me and didn't interrupt me and didn't comment on what I'd said, uh, which is the nature of the, the meetings was incredible because I'd never had a conversation before without someone interrupting me or speaking over the top of me or telling me I was wrong um, <clears throat> or even telling me what I was feeling. You know, people would say things, oh, you're angry or you're this or you're that. Um, in an Al-Anon meeting, no one does that. 
you you just speak from the heart and each person owns their own own truth so that was a major change for me major change to have that that opportunity to to speak like that mm. yeah it's um one of the things in an ally meeting is that everybody respects each other's right to be exactly where they are they don't have to recover in five seconds um you can still be struggling with an active alcoholic like um, and just being able to talk about from from my experience about how I saw that experience and actually just saying the words that I'd pretty much never said before to anybody else, being able to sort of talk to people and see by saying that thing, I came to the realisation that maybe I was part of the problem too, that it wasn't just the alcoholic, it was the fact that I was trying to control the alcoholic. There was this tug of war going on between us that, that I was trying to control him and he was trying to control me and if I just dropped the rope the tug of war would end and I would feel pretty good mm. um, so Steve did you did you find that you had this sense of relief being able to detach from the alcoholic oh absolutely it was it was that being able to say I'm, I don't need to be responsible anymore I can I can be responsible for myself which was really great and in the meetings, it was really interesting. Like, I I realized after a while that it was like tossing a coin and finding a new head, finding a new realization about myself. Um, you know, like I'd even coming from my own voice as I was talking, I could hear a realization occur from out of the out of the craziness that um, there was a sensibility there. And as I heard from Sue, that whole thing of there are all these people listening and they're not interrupting. Earlier on, I had this whole thing about um, if I was in a group or talking, there was always that butting in, so I had developed a really bad stutter. I think it was actually, even at home, I, I couldn't get a word in edgewise, so I'd be rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing to try and say the words. And then when I got the gap to put it in, I could just get it in, but then I'd stutter. You know, so finding Alanon was a way of actually, uh, it was like breathing out, you know, uh, an hour and a half of breathing out. I, um, yeah, I was heard and I was able to listen as well. I, I could be quiet for the, for the rest of the time. It was mm. great. Yeah. Yeah, one of my friends says, his mother said to him when she got into Alanon, take the cotton wool out of your ears and put it in your mouth and just listen, listen to, listen to other people, but, but share your experience so they know where you're coming from. You can hear things that help you understand your situation and how maybe you can better deal with situations. So um, the other one thing you mentioned too was the non-judgmental nature. And I think being able to, for me, being able to practice that at an Al-Anon meeting, you know, accepting people coming in with all sorts of problems, and everybody's got a different alcoholic story, um, but... You know, looking for the similarities and just listening to people and understanding that even if you don't necessarily believe them or trust them or whatever it is, you're still letting them say that because that's that's their reality. Um, so, Sue, so how did you how did you find you know that did you find that Alan was a safe place that you could, uh, as some people say, recharge your batteries, ready to go out to to face the alcoholic mm. once again. 
Um, definitely, I have on the whole found it uh, to be a safe place to process all the turmoil of emotions that um, I'm working through. Um, I have to be mindful too. Uh, there's a lovely part of the um, of our closing which says take what you like and leave the rest mm. and that's been a really important thing to me, for me too because of course we are unwell people we are a group of unwell people we are in recovery uh, some are more recovered than others so sometimes um, <clears throat> I've heard things that uh, have triggered me um, or or whatever but I have that that saying um, whom you see here, what you leave here, when you leave here, let it stay here. So there's real safety in that anonymity and that safety mm. that what's said isn't going to be taken and gossiped on and talked about um, outside of the meetings. And even if I hear something that's uncomfortable for me in the meeting, um, I, I don't have to take that with me. I, you know, I take what I like and leave the rest. So I, I take um, the things that give me um, strength and hope and I can leave the other things behind. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's... Um, the other thing that I found was that whatever I say isn't used against me, which it, it invariably was in the alcoholic situation. Hmm. I had two sisters and a mother. And if if things got tough, people who were previously on your side would you anything you, you shared from the heart would be used against you so pretty much you shut down your communication with other people because it can hurt you so much and the thing that i found in alan was that once you can actually talk about those things safely they um they don't they're no longer a problem that if somebody knows my dad was an alcoholic it's not a big issue anymore because that's a fact and um, just that, that validation, I think, really helps. If we're looking at being you know, in, in Al-Anon and the effect it's having on us, sometimes it's just as interesting looking at how the alcoholic reacts to, to what, we're, what we're doing in Al-Anon. Some, some people, I never told my father I was going to Al-Anon, but he benefited from, from that fact. But um, sometimes the alcoholic has has a strong reaction and other times it's it's very passive and some alcoholics even suggest to their partner that they should go because they, they need Alan because they're not you know they're not good enough um, so Steve how did you find the alcoholic responded well um, it was interesting because at first uh, well the alcoholic that I was around um, because my mother obviously died well before I got to Alanon. Um, but the alcoholic that was around me at the time at first um, got really sort of irate and thought and, and also started using or found stuff about Al-Anon and started using sort of, oh, you're going to Al-Anon, are you? And, and the whole cult thing, is, you know, that's, and that no way was she an, an alcoholic because, you know, and she can prove it because she can stop drinking. And so she stopped drinking visibly for a while. And um, but there was a change, and in, in, I think in some ways the change in me that I stopped um, arguing with her so much, and the whole thing of you may be right is a, such a good thing to say. And also the other thing is, um, 
Yeah, uh, there's a thing saying, I'd rather be happy than right. And earlier on, because I was so good at debating with the alcoholic, I used to always try to be right all the time. And now I can go, oh, I don't, I don't need to be right. I can be happy. And it changed our relationship quite a bit because I suddenly saw her as no longer the alcoholic but the amazing sort of artist she is. You know, she's an incredible person and has an incredible mind. And I could see that instead of the alcoholic. I don't know if that answered it totally, I think. <laughs> Sue could probably add more to that. <laughs> also, would you like to share about you know how it was your mother, I think, that, that was the primary one that brought you here, but mm. how she responded to your change in attitude towards her drinking? Well, as Steve said, the, the initial um, response wasn't too good. She was really appalled and... Um, and, 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 and as he said, he, she gave up drinking for three months um, to prove that she wasn't an addict um, and then freely took up drinking again as a choice, as a lifestyle choice and, um, and has um, <clears throat> lots of medical evidence about the benefits of al- drinking alcohol regularly. So, um, so for her, it's self-medicating. Um, but recently over... I've now been in the program three and a half years and there has been an improvement in our relationship and she's even used terms such as gratitude. Yeah. And in fact, and, and last week actually I was talking to her about something and she actually used the term, oh, I really count my blessings. So I, I nearly fell off my chair because I thought, wow. So um, by osmosis there must be something about the change in me that's... Um, it's certainly my attitude towards her has changed and I think that's probably the de- direct result of of an improvement in, in the relationship. Um, yeah, so I think it's more to do with my change in attitude. Um, perhaps I'm more pleasant to be around actually and I'm less judging, uh, well a lot less judging and um, angry and all those sorts of things that I was obviously projecting outwards um, and I've stopped enabling and it took me a long time to really understand what enabling was um, it's my mother's um, an octogenarian and so um, people say look at her age just let her drink you know help her just you know why not and she's not able to go and purchase it herself um, <clears throat> But I realised that I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. I yeah. couldn't even do that. So um, that that's been that's been a really big thing for me is to not even. I just don't. I don't buy it. I won't. She now she now knows that I I won't do it at all. Won't participate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no, I think it's really important that most people don't realise that enabling an alcoholic is just keeping them trapped. Um, and it's it's not a nice thing to do. And if you look back, and I have the benefit of being able to look back on my Alan life and seeing that if I didn't do anything about my relationship with the alcoholic, that I would just be supporting his drinking and making his life worse. And it's just, you know, I'm, I'm no longer doing that. And I feel good about the fact that I've got off the merry-go-round. Um, but at that point, the alcoholic's got to see something in themselves that they've got to do something differently, um, and that's that's their that's their life. I can't can't control that. 
one of the interesting things I learned in Alan was trying not to react to the alcoholic. And part of that was um, learning to not say things that were judgmental. And my dad came out with outrageous things, always trying to get a hook and you know, get a, resp- a reaction. And I heard somebody say that, you know, if you respond with non-judgmental things like, I've never, I've never thought of it that way, which you know, to the alcoholic is non-judgmental. But to me, it's like, it's crazy. But, you know, if, you th- if you're thinking that, that's fine. Um, and that meant that I wasn't trying to tell him or control him and tell him, you know, to say that your life is, is not good enough. It's, well, you know, if that's what you think, well, that's, that's fine, you know, that's, that's your life. Um, Jude, con- controlling, controlling people's behaviour, you know, it's, do you find that, you know, the program gives you the ability just to let people live their life regardless of what they're doing or how badly they're doing it? That's a very interesting <coughs> question. I, I, I was thinking um, when Sue was talking earlier, I was dating a guy who was drinking a hell of a lot a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't recommend it. And um, and the trouble was, of course, he was really aware of, you know, and I was I was in, you know, 12-step fellowship and was running the radio show and stuff. So, but he was really aware of it all too and, and aware of our terms. So I'd make him a cup of tea and he'd be like, enabling you're enabling me, you big enabler. <laughs> and I'd say, I'm not enabling you. This is appropriate support. <laughs> anyway, it's a very funny alcoholic, which is why I was dating him. But, um, but yeah, that that it's sort of, I guess, one of the benefits is you can start to have the meta conversation or the conversation about the conversation and mm. and start to sort of get out of just really being in it and reacting to everything to going, oh, you know, taking a step back, taking a breath, going, what am I doing, <laughs> you know? Here I am in a radio station with three other people, and we're talking about drug and alcohol addiction and how we get better. That's interesting, <laughs> you yeah. know. What's what's happening in my day? Um, yeah, is anybody ever really good at letting other people get on with things? I, I'm better than I was. I think it's an interesting question, Bill, because often there's sort of that question of where where do you draw the line, mm. and yep. you'll draw a different line with different people. Um, so yeah, like I was saying before, your own kids you'll draw a very different line to with a with a complete stranger, um, especially if that if that kid's quite young. Um, I don't know if that answers that question that, at yeah. all. It's but about, it's uh, about sharing. It's not about answering. It's, yeah, it's a stimulus. It's yeah. But, but, yeah, get, yeah. P- personally, I was I guess I was always dating people when I was drinking who were trying to. They were very unhappy about that side of my life. And I would take them to parties and I'd be um, plastered and they'd be sitting in a corner with big eyes staring up at me like, please, can we go home? (laughs) And I'd be like, why? We're all having the best time. And it's like, no, I'm having the best time Mm. in my little haze and uh, you're not. And I couldn't see that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Now we have a song coming up called Ben Green by Kermit the Frog, which is one of Sue's favourites. Sue, would you like just to share why you think this is terrific? Yeah, well, it's Kermit singing It's Not Easy Being Green, and I really relate to that. Um, it, it wasn't easy being a child of an alcoholic, um, and and it's in, in this program I'm, I'm getting to find out who I am and discover the things that I like and that it's okay to be me, to be me. Yeah. Um, so that's why I chose this song. 
Okay, thanks. Well, here's Kermit the Frog with being green. It's not easy being green Having to spend each day the color of the leaves When I think it could be nicer being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that Uh, welcome back. We're on the Young Living Free program on 3CR Community Radio, on digital radio and streaming live online. Uh, our guests today are Sue and Steve, and I've got Jude co-panelling with me. I was just wondering, Steve, if, if you could tell us some of the things, some of the tools. Alan's got a lot of tools. Yeah. Is, there, is there anything particular that you'd like to share with the listeners? Uh, yeah, well... What was really interesting was that, you know, there's the slogan that said, uh, when I went to Al-Anon, you know, I was, you know, I was pretty cynical about lots of things. And uh, there's a, in the rooms there are these slogans, which is one day at a time, all these different slogans. Uh, how important is it? All those things. And when I first saw them, I was so cynical about the whole thing. I thought, oh, are you sure? That, you know, that this trite little numbers. I was expecting, you know, sort of pink elephants and and um, roses floating around them, but I, I, but as I got into Alan on a lot more, that whole thing of um, easy does it, one day at a time, were actually really had a lot of power in them. Like I remember once I was driving and I was getting so pissed off with these drivers, and it wasn't nothing to do with alcohol, but it was about me, and uh, the drivers were sort of. Uh, hanging around at the lights and so I ended up missing the green and getting the red and then I got to the next light the same thing happened and I was just getting really angry and then I suddenly had this thing of you know how important is this I'm only going to the market I there's no big deal and I remember saying to myself I'll oh, give yourself a break and I suddenly realized that I was actually causing it all myself and it was coming out of those slogans out of you know easy does it was suddenly thinking Ah, you know, um, these people aren't, the other people aren't doing it to me, I'm doing it to me because they can't hear me screaming and shouting in this car Mm. or fogging up and getting really warm in the face. And as soon as I thought to myself, give myself a break, thanks to Al-Anon, I just went, ah, I can actually drive without without that. And it was just, yeah, some of these things that are helpful to me are just really, um, really powerful. And what I hear in the rooms, like, it's not my business what other people think of me, is, you know, that I, I don't need to... Um, a lot of pressure is taken off my shoulders, essentially, coming, going from... And, and that's what I get out of the mm-hmm. Al-Anon aspect, which is about my life, not only about alcoholics. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's taking the weight off the shoulders. It's feeling not responsible that I can, I can live my life without a burden now. But now it's my responsibility to live my life. So, my, yeah, my slogan was um, live and let live. And there's a, a reading in some literature that says we are admonished to live our own lives and let others get on with theirs. And I thought, I don't really have a life. You know, I focused my whole life on my father's drinking and the family situation that I didn't have a lot of friends. I, didn't, I wasn't enjoying life. I didn't have a lot of interests. My interest and focus was an obsession on the family and the drinker. And that's yeah, that isn't a life. Um, so, would you like to share with us some of the what's what's helped you in Alan and what sort of tools have helped you? 
Yep. Um, detachment um, boundaries is another one. Um, both of those took me a while to understand what they were. Um, but I think key key for me was um, finding um, someone to be my sponsor, a brilliant lady who totally understands this program and who has guided me through the steps and I'm sure you've you've mentioned on this program before that it's Alan on a 12-step program now when I came into the program I thought I was going to be handed a sort of sheet which had the 12 steps or 12 little well worn well kind of tried tips for how to get the alcoholic to stop drinking um, and I felt oh no it's not it's all about me I've, I've got a I've got to do these steps and the first one which is I'm powerless over alcohol and my life has become unmanageable that's been a really big one for me um, <clears throat> because coming to understand that I'm I'm powerless over other people places and things I'm, I'm powerless over um, whether the alcoholic still drinks or not but also the realization that the alcoholic is powerless too the alcoholic is powerless over over their own drinking um, and that was a big, big thing for me to realise that um, I had, I think, spent my life thinking it was just a matter of will, willpower. You know, why don't you just put the drink down and stop, stop drinking? Um, now I understand. It's it's such a powerful, powerful disease. There's nothing they can do about it, and there's nothing I can do about it either. So that was, I think, one of the main tools. Thanks. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's the thing. I also share that issue with detachment. It was incredibly important, and, and about you know this concept of step one of just letting someone else live their own life. But I had to live mine at the same time. So I've got I've got to weigh it up. I can't I can't live my life and live someone else's. So I've got to I've got to do one. And the other part of you know that that letting other people live their life is not trying to control them. And that is, you know, in the tug of war of life, you drop the rope, and you get on with your life. It's mm. it's not trying to get them to do better or do something. It's it's about me. It's my responsibility to get on with my life. Um, so, um, and the other one is boundaries, or what's I sort of think of boundaries as as my limits. Where can I go before I <laughs> before I can't? I don't feel comfortable anymore with with things. So. Um, Steve, do you have any things about your limits or your boundaries? What, what things? What? Where do you get to before it's too much? Yeah, well, um, I think it's all in myself, and you know, the the whole thing of being re reacting again or being really, uh, you know, my, I used to find that my face would get really hot, and now with Alanon, I can actually, when I feel that. F hot face it's it's my anger's coming up and I think what's happening to me I have to stop give myself a break and um and I can actually take my time on it I don't have to you know like before everything seemed to be so important you know like in terms of the uh, working with the alcoholic it had to happen now or whatever and now it's uh there's a lot more space and I think that's the thing about Al-Anon is that um, it took me sort of, uh, you know, it, it takes me months to suddenly click on something. You know, like when you said about um, live and let live, I, I thought of the time when it, 
it was I was getting really annoyed about these people parking in a different different a certain place, and then I just suddenly thought, well, what am I? What does it matter to them? And what does it matter to me? And I suddenly was able to sort of take it easy on it, and I think the program is is like that. It's not, well, you've got to get it done this week, and then next week we're going to do this. It's sort of like they talk about the twelve steps. You don't get to the top, and then you've finished. It's sort of like, I suppose, Fred Astaire, you can go up to step one, two, three, and then back down again and dance around the place. And with you an can umbrella. Actually find that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with an umbrella. Yeah. Exactly, and the rain. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I find it when I'm driving. If I'm cross, then, yeah, I've, I've got a problem. <laughs> uh, Jude, your favourite tool from programs? What's Mate, the minute you say boundaries, like... <laughs> I mean, I, I know how, how big I am on boundaries because all of my friends are sick of the word and they're like, please, <laughs> please shush. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't just get help from, from the 12-step fellowships. There's a lot of other things too. And I went to this course um, for people who had a certain set of personal problems and they said there are – actually, a friend went before I went and she came home and said, did you know that there are three sorts of boundaries? You know, <laughs> These are boundaries of what you think you should do to other people, the ones that the schoolyard bully gets wrong. There's uh, the goalpost boundaries, what you think is a good idea. And then there's your boundaries of what you will allow other people to do to you. And my mind was blown. And I went down to visit another mate and I said – did you know that there's three sorts of boundaries? And she she was the same. And she's like, we're driving. And she's like, I just nearly crashed the car. Like, I wasn't looking where we were going. This this was all news to me. And so um, it, it completely changed my life, starting to think about um, instead of just sort of schmozzling through, just going, well, what, what am I going to allow this person to do to me? And if I'm unhappy, what have I allowed someone else to do to me? Or what do I think is a good idea to somebody else? Or, you know, what, what do I want to achieve? What, what is within my, my set of, of things that would be great? What is awesome to me? Yeah. Um, so I'd like to, um, to thank our Eleanor guests today, Sue and Steve. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Jude. Yeah, thank you to you guys. I really enjoyed coming in. We enjoyed your stories. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> if you think Eleanor and family groups could help you cope with the effects of living with a problem drinker, then you can contact Eleanor on 1300 252 666. They also have a website. Uh, you check it out. It's um, You can just Google Eleanor Australia or go directly to the website on www.eleanor.org.au. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from a gambling addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks again for listening to the Living Free program today. (laughs) 